0: The Tom Woods Show, episode 1530.
1: Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Hey, everybody, tell me if
0: this sounds like you. You're debating health care with your interventionist friends and you just can't seem to hold your own. They immediately claim the moral high ground and you just don't know how to respond. Well, check out my free ebook. Your Facebook Friends Are Wrong About Healthcare, and you will be shocked. Yes, even you, a veteran libertarian, will be shocked at just how solid the libertarian position is. Pick it up for free at yourfriendsarewrong.com. Hey, everybody. Tom Woods here, delighted to be joined once again by Jacob Hornberger, who is the founder and president of the Future of Freedom Foundation, which you can check out at fff.org, which is celebrating its 30-year anniversary this year, 2019. And Jacob, known to his friends as Bumper, is announcing or has announced his decision to seek the Libertarian Party's presidential nomination. And we're going to discuss that right here with him today. Bumper, welcome back.
1: Uh, It's always an honor and a pleasure to be on your show, Tom. Thanks for having me back.
0: Last time we talked, the episode title was Abolish the CIA. Let me tell you, that episode got a lot of listens with a title like that, three words. But that's the three words my folks have been longing to hear. So it was, it was very, very good. So at that time, there was some speculation and chatter about the possibility of your seeking the Libertarian Party nomination for president. Now it is absolutely 100% official. So let's start off just uh, right there. I mean, I suppose you may have some. First of all, I'd be curious to know about your history with the Libertarian Party. I mean, you're not just somebody who out of the blue decided to run. And uh, why in 2020?
1: Well, as you know, Tom, I've, I've given my life into libertarianism in terms of the educational arena for 30 years now. I founded the Future Freedom Foundation 30 years ago, which whose mission has been to present this principled, uncompromising case for liberty. And It has been just absolutely tremendously rewarding. I'm just, I count myself as so lucky to be able to do my passion in life and uh, get paid to do it. I mean, I just love what I do in life. But I finally have gotten to the point in my life where I said, you know, it's just time to throw yourself into this battle against these people that have destroyed our liberty in this land in a bigger way. And that means taking them on directly in the political arena, which is about as direct as you can get. And so I decided after much soul searching, thought, deliberation, I said, you know, I'm going to do this, that I'm going to go for the LP presidential nomination. If I don't win it, then I would just simply return to FFF doing what I've been doing. If I'm accorded the honor of winning that thing, I would absolutely love just skewering both Trump or whoever the Republicans nominate and, and whoever the Democrats nominate and holding them accountable for what they've done to our country, both of them, especially with respect to the destruction of liberty, and that's what my campaign is going to revolve around: restoring liberty to America. Now, with respect to my history with the L.P., 30 years ago, about the time I started the Future Freedom Foundation, I got a telephone call from a guy named Bill Evers, who was on the platform committee, asking me to join the platform committee of the National Libertarian Party, and I said no, and I insisted on no because. I felt that this was a political party, and they were just going to water down principles, and I wasn't interested in that. I I think adhering to principle is everything in in both politics and education. Well, he sent me a copy of the party platform, and I was bowled over. I mean this was this pure libertarian Rothbardian manifesto, and I was just so shocked. And so I called him, and I said it would be an honor to serve on the platform committee, and I served three terms. Uh, I was later awarded the honor of being uh, receiving the Thomas Paine Award for Communication of Libertarian Principles. I was the keynote speaker at the, I think, at the 96th convention. And so I I was an activist in the party. I was going to state conventions about, oh, probably, you know, six or seven a year at least. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Uh, but then I got into a big battle in 2000 with the, the some of the party hierarchy and their pre-nomination candidate for president. And it it turned out to be a really nasty fight. And after that fight, I just decided, you know what? I'm going to just return to the educational arena. And life has too much meaning to engage in this type of thing. And so I stayed away from the party for about 20 years until recently when I said, you know what? I'm coming back and uh, I'm going to offer the party a, a campaign of principle for the party of principle and just see where the chips fall.
0: Well, that is certainly music to my ears. Of course, that's what I would like to see happen in a campaign. And yet, at the same time, I I mean, I'd like to see a libertarian presidential campaign do two things. Number one, clearly signal to libertarians out there that the person is serious about libertarian ideas. Okay, that obviously is the bare minimum. But we do want to, of course, reach beyond our particular choir. And the fact is, much as I wish it were different, most Americans' main issue going into 2020 is not the non-aggression principle. It's not there's too much um, authorized violence by the state going on. I mean, they may think of it in different words. They may say, I don't like the drug war, and that's aggression, but they just don't think of it in those terms. So the kinds of language we might use around libertarians just don't resonate with the average American. How do you make them resonate?
1: Well, I, I think, in, first of all, adhering to principles of the utmost importance, that, you know, Throughout history, it's been principles and ideals that have moved mankind to higher achievements. That's how we got things like freedom of speech and freedom of the press and freedom of religion and due process of law and habeas corpus. There's always been this small minority of people that just have adhered to principle and then people either respond or they don't. If they don't, there's nothing you can do about it. Look at Frederick Bastiat. I mean, here was this principled advocate of liberty in 19th century France and nobody pays attention to him. And yet, look what a tremendous influence he is on those of us living today. On the other hand, you had Cobden and Bright in England, who are you know have the anti-corn law league, and they're advocating for the repeal of all these government regulations and mercantilist regulations, and they meet with tremendous success. So you never have any real control over how people respond. But I, I think we're living in a time where there's a large number of people that realize that What we have today hasn't worked. I mean, we've got a a socialist healthcare system, Medicare. So my pitch is gonna be, look, this system cannot work. It is impossible. It is inherently defective. It is a socialist system. And explain to people why it's a socialist system and then say, it's a cancer. You, You don't reform cancer. You have to get rid of this thing. You have to ditch Medicare. That's the root cause of the healthcare problem. If people can't accept that and they're scared to death of it, I have no control over that. Or you, you take another instance, the drug war. My target is going to be African-Americans. I mean, they're the ones that have paid the price for this. This is the most racially bigoted government programs in segregation, and both Democrats and Republicans need to be called on it. They're so obsessed with you know, determining who's a racist and who isn't a racist, while at the same time. They enforce this bigoted government program that we all know falls disproportionately on blacks. It's a program that clearly hasn't worked. So you make the utilitarian case, and not only has it failed after several decades, but it has brought a wrath of all these collateral problems like government corruption, asset forfeiture, violence, corruption, drug gangs, gang wars. And then you make the moral case at the same time so you can appeal to people that that respond to ideals and principles, and you say – A person's got a right to ingest whatever he wants to ingest, no matter how harmful, and if he gets addicted to drugs, that belongs in the rehab centers, the therapy centers, the counseling centers, Alcoholics Anonymous. It has no place in the criminal justice system with mass incarceration. And you make that principal case both on the utilitarian ground and on the moral ground, and you let the chips fall where they may. If people reject it, so be it at least we go down as libertarians, Tom, instead of a Republican light or a Democratic light. I want to fight with our principles. And if those principles uh, fail, well, so be it. At least we remain true to ourselves. But I think they're the only chance we can to move this society onto a free society.
0: You said that bringing liberty back to America would be your theme. Now, for all his you know, oddball characteristics, Trump did something that I think was very effective. Libertarians, if you ask us where we stand on pretty much anything, we know instantly what our views are, whether it's agriculture or industrial policy or the drug war or foreign policy. We have it all thought out and it all goes back to first principles. I would say Trump was the opposite of that. I don't know what his first principles are. I don't know what he reads. I don't know what his influences are, if any, you know, but although he did have a, an overarching theme, Make America Great Again, what I think was effective was he focused his attention on three or four main issues that he just kept pounding away at. If you asked him about another issue, he would answer, but he kept focused on ones that he thought would resonate most with the public. Is that gonna be the kind of tack you will take? And if so, what would be your three or four issues?
1: Yes, absolutely. But but let me, let me say something about Trump. That I think that one of the reasons Trump, turned out to be so successful, is that people got the sense that he was anti-establishment, that that he was going to shake up this huge welfare-warfare state bureaucracy that is strangling our lives. Now, he clearly didn't have a a philosophical framework for this. Uh, He clearly is not a libertarian. He isn't interested in dismantling these government programs, but he, he created the sense that he was going to shake up this establishment when he calls it, you know, cleaning out the swamp and stuff. I think that resonated big time with people. I, I think that if Gary Johnson had done that, he would have been much more successful. But instead, you had the libertarians sort of veering to the credibility, respectability line with two governors and so forth, while Trump's over here saying to hell with this whole establishment. So he beats guys like, you know, Bush and, and Cruz and all these establishment kind of people. Now, to your second part of the question, I have, I have certain issues that I'm going to concentrate on and with the aim of them resonating within certain sectors of society. I have no pretensions that seniors are going to vote for me. I'm not going to target seniors with, with votes because I'm going to be advocating abolishing the whole gamut of welfare state programs, beginning with Social Security and Medicare. That's not going to resonate among seniors. So my, my top issues are going to be one. the the war on immigrants. I believe this is an evil, immoral, destructive, deadly war that has produced a police state in the American Southwest. I'm gonna be arguing to Hispanic Americans that this is no way to go, that the only system that is consistent with religious principles and, and free market principles is a open border, free trade, open immigration system. I'm gonna be targeting black Americans with the drug war about how this is such a racially bigoted war. I'm gonna be drawing on the noted African-American scholar, Michelle Alexander, on my own background where we've done programs at the Future of Freedom Foundation, which I should say is not endorsing my candidacy, it's a nonprofit, but we've done programs at HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. I'm gonna be talking about healthcare, about how the only real solution to this healthcare problem is you've got to ditch Medicare and Medicaid. There is no other solution. And then from there, you talk about the monetary system, the debasement of the currency, why we're walking around with cheap alloyed coins and Federal Reserve notes that promise to pay nothing, this continuous debasement, which then leads into the out-of-control federal spending and debt, uh, $22 trillion in debt. And finally, The forever wars, the foreign interventionism, the the national security state, the the dark side practices, torture, assassinations, sanctions, embargoes, the the coups, uh, state-sponsored assassinations, kidnapping, secret prison camps, the whole dark side policies of the national security state. That in a nutshell is what I'm going to be arguing we need to do in order to get on the road to a free society.
0: As you and I are talking today, We're just getting the news about the governor's race in Kentucky, and there a Republican lost to a Democrat by a – I mean he's not conceding, but it looks as if he's lost by an extremely just razor-thin margin, and it's a margin that was swamped by the number of votes the Libertarian candidate for governor got. So there's a lot of anger among Kentucky Republicans this morning about the Libertarian Party because they say if you hadn't been insisting on some perfect candidate, we could have kept – the governor's mansion, out of the hands of a Democrat whom we all dislike and who's going to do terrible things to the state. What's your thought about that? Do you think there are races where libertarians, for strategic reasons, ought to stay out? Is your view that the Republicans and Democrats are not entitled to anybody's votes and they've got to earn them and people should vote their conscience? How do you assess a situation like that?
1: Uh, The latter, I mean, well, for me, Tom, there's no difference between a Democrat and Republican. I mean, philosophically, they're, they're on the same wavelength. You know, they fight between each other, but it's a fight over who's going to get to participate in the largesse, the grants, the influence peddling and so forth. But they're all they're all committed to the same overall philosophical statist philosophy, social security on a federal level. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, education grants on a local level, public schooling, the drug war, foreign interventionism. So when I get a phone call or somebody saying, oh, we got to get this Republican in office because the Democrat might get in, I say, come on. I couldn't care less whether it's a Democrat or Republican. To me, they're all the same. So I say libertarians ought to run in every single race and let them cry As much as they want that the libertarian cost them their election, as you put it, they're not entitled to any election or any votes. And it's also not clear that uh, libertarians draw only from Republicans. I mean, that's part of that meshing of the brand, libertarian brand that I've complained about for some time now, that people have this perception that libertarianism is a subset of conservatism, or the LP is like a branch of the Republican Party, because you have this mush where... Libertarians are, are conflating Republican principles with the Libertarian principles. Well, we're a radical philosophy. We're not conservatives. We're not Republican lights. We're not Democratic lights. We have our own particular philosophy of liberty, and we need to, to preserve that brand, and it's a brand that stands against both Republicans and Democrats, and I think the fact that that Libertarian candidate got over the margin is absolutely fantastic. Uh, it shows you how we're growing in this, in this nation.
0: Well, let me raise then another objection that I think any libertarian candidate has to figure out how to overcome. In 2020, we're going to get, we're already getting the same kind of language that we've heard in 2016, 2012, 2008, And that is, this is the most important election in our lifetimes. And for some reason, it seems like every four years, the next one's even more important than the previous one. So it's always the most important election in our lifetimes. And you know what the corollary of that is. It's the most important election in our lifetimes. Therefore, you can't afford to vote for anyone other than the two major parties, okay? You have to vote for somebody in one of those parties because it's just that important. You don't have the luxury of voting for the perfect candidate. You gotta hold your nose and vote for one you can tolerate so as to keep government out of the hands of the other one. And in particular, what people will say is the Supreme Court. They'll say, for whatever else you may say about Trump and what a disappointment he may have been, his Supreme Court picks have not been terrible. They've certainly been better than what we would get under Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and so on. And we've got the possibility of getting the court back in our hands for maybe 30 years. What is voting for a libertarian candidate next to a
1: prize like that? Well- When I speak before regular mainstream audiences as part of this nomination campaign, and and if I I were according the nomination and speaking to regular audiences after the nomination, my message is going to be very simple. If you like the direction the country is taking, vote for Democrats and Republicans. It doesn't matter. If Trump's the nominee, vote for Trump. If it's Warren or Biden or Sanders or whoever, vote for them. It doesn't matter. If you like the direction this country is taking – Um, you know, massive suicide rates, uh, massive unexplained killings, massive drug addiction, alcoholism. And this is a pretty dysfunctional society. And I think it reflects the fact that, number one, we don't live in a free society. And number two, people falsely believe they're living in a free society. So you got this highly dysfunctional system where all these killings are taking place overseas and mass incarceration. If you like all that, vote for either Trump or the other Democrat, the Democrat doesn't matter. If you wanna move America in a different direction, in a direction of liberty, free markets, limited a limited government republic, then I'm your guy. And I'll take, you, take them at the words, if this is the most important election ever, then all the more reason to vote for the libertarian to get this country back on the right track, the track away from socialism, interventionism, imperialism, and so forth. Now, in your question with with respect to the Supreme Court, I don't get excited just because Republicans are appointing uh, lawyers to the Supreme Court. These guys oftentimes are the very they, – they may be a little bit better on economic liberty principles like eminent domain uh, takings and so forth, but they're horrible on civil liberties in the national security state. I mean you, you've got a Supreme Court that defers automatically to the Pentagon, the CIA, the NSA. Uh, all you got to do is say national security, and the, the members of the Supreme Court are going to roll over, and that particularly applies to conservative justices. And, and the drug war, they're going to uphold every single evisceration of the Fourth Amendment that comes with the drug war. Now, Democrats, you know, it's, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. I mean, they're they're horrible on on the economic issues, socialism and stuff, but they tend to be better on the civil liberties issues. So we there's this little quandary. Now, my ideal would be to have a libertarian president appointing libertarian lawyers to the Supreme Court. Now we're talking about a consistent approach to to the law, one that protects both economic liberty and civil liberties, and that's what I'm aiming for.
0: Let's talk about what a Libertarian primary campaign looks like. You're seeking the Libertarian Party nomination. What exactly does that consist of? I mean, are you – presumably you're you're hoping to raise money. Would you use that to travel to different state parties? I I actually don't know. What does such a campaign look like?
1: Well, you're you're asking me a question that kind of discloses my campaign strategy for the first time here.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, I don't know if that's good or
1: bad. Um, Well, I might as well go public with it. I'll tell you what I'm doing. Okay, the libertarian uh, nomination entails nomination by convention. And that means that there are no binding primaries. Uh, Everybody uh, at each state convention, they they elect the delegates to the convention and they're not bound to any – particular candidate so they have, everybody shows up at the convention national convention in Austin in May and there's just a gigantic election where all the delegates vote on who they want to be president and the first guy that gets 50% plus one wins the nomination. However, here's what's interesting is that many of these states have gotten what is ordinarily called something like major party status where they're entitled to participate in the primary elections. One of these states is North Carolina, which is right next to my home state of Virginia. Libertarian Party candidates in 2016 were on the ballot in uh, North Carolina. So people walk into the ballot, into the election place, and they ask for a ballot from the Libertarian Party, the Democratic Party, or or the Republican Party. All right, here's my strategy. My objective, and this is where I need people to help me out financially. I want to win the North Carolina primary. That is my objective in this race. I want to win this primary and I want to win it big. It doesn't matter to me whether it's binding or not. In 2016, I think Gary Johnson got somewhere around 2,500 votes. Um, Hillary Clinton got like, I think 800,000, Trump got 800,000, something like that, Uh, maybe over a million. I want to do a lot better than Gary Johnson. So I've decided that I'm gonna do, okay, in this era of social media, I want to do old-fashioned retail campaigning. I want to talk to people person to person. I want to give speeches. I want to tell people what I'm fighting for. So I've decided to wage a very active primary campaign in North Carolina to defeat all my Libertarian Party opponents and garner as many votes as I can to far exceed the votes that Gary Johnson got. That means convincing people – Independence, you got to be an independent voter. If you're registered Democrat, Republican, you can't vote in our primary. But if you're registered independent, you're registered libertarian, you can come in and vote in our primary. So this week, right after I announced at the South Carolina LP convention, I came on the road. I've been campaigning. Nobody knows it, but I've been campaigning. I got a, a booth at the gun show in uh, Charlotte in Concord, North Carolina, handed out Oh, hundreds of my dozens, I can't, I don't know how many brochures at a gun show, introducing myself, I had a booth there with my poster of Jacob Hornberger for president. I also give out flyers of my new book called My Passion for Liberty that's available on Amazon. From there, I went meeting with church ministers. I've been to around 7 or 8 newspapers in Concord and Charlotte and now I'm going to visit newspapers in in Raleigh and Greensboro just to introduce myself. That's all I'm saying. I want to introduce you. I'm going to run an active campaign in this state. Please keep me in mind because I'm coming back in February and asking for your endorsement. So that's my strategy, Tom. I want to win this primary and I want to win it big. And I, but I need help. I got motel bills. I got flyers. I don't have a lot of money. I need people to help me out printing brochures and help me out to win this, this primary. Because if I can win this primary big, then I can go into the convention saying, hey, look what we've done. And then post-convention, hey, look what we did in North Carolina. Pay attention to us libertarians.
0: Okay. Well, f- right now, as long as we're on it, what is your website?
1: It's jacobforliberty.com. and that's where people can make donations to me. And just you know, twenty five dollars—I mean, that'll buy a, a bunch of brochures for me. It'll pay for gasoline. I'm, I'm driving to all these all these towns myself, and and I'm doing it after work because I'm continuing my work at the Future of Freedom Foundation. So I'm doing this after after work. I'm going from newspaper to newspaper. I'm popping in. I'm meeting with the editor, as you may know. I, I'm, I speak Spanish. A lot of these newspapers are Hispanic newspapers. I've had some nice conversations with people there. Uh, it seems to be resonating about my position on immigration. So, there's a large Hispanic population here in North Carolina. So, yeah, it's JacobForLiberty.com, and and my new book's called My Passion for Liberty, which gives libertarian principles and shows people why these principles are practical. Tom, because I think you start out this show was like, how do you convince people? Well, I think You convince people this is the only system that works. Nothing else is going to work. Well, let me ask you in
0: closing the kind of question that a skeptical Libertarian Party member might have who will say, You may disparage Johnson and Weld, but they brought name recognition. You know, people knew that they were former governors and that that is at least something. And yes, it's true that that means they have some, at least some kind of establishment baggage. But that's certainly offset by all the media attention they got. How can you offset your relative lack of name recognition, given that they did get a lot of media coverage? How can you overcome what is, you know, admittedly an obstacle for you?
1: Yeah, well, let me first say that I I, I do have no intentions, and I didn't want to convey that impression that I disparage Gary Johnson at all. I, I highly sure. admire what he accomplished, he got two terms. He, you're right, he brought a lot of fame to the libertarian party and he got a lot of votes i mean he doubled the amount of votes uh so he, he did a lot and i've talked to people that were in, that are in the party today because of his two campaigns and, so and I, by the
0: way i wasn't implying that you felt that way but the, you know there are plenty of people who have disparaged those two candidates and, and i just meant that for all that talk the fact is they did get a lot of attention for the party. And so I want to know, how can you try to duplicate that even though you don't have the name recognition that a former governor would have?
1: I I have a big obstacle in that sense. Uh, There's no question about it. I mean, it's a trade-off that I bring to the party a campaign of principle. And hopefully, if I were a court of the nomination... That that would, you know, help bring uh, some attention to the party. But I start out with with an obstacle that that Gary Johnson and Bill Weld didn't have. They were famous. They were Republican politicians. But by the same token, they come in with some negatives too, especially Weld, who is uh, you know, well, I don't need to go into Weld's politics. So uh, yes, this is a tremendous obstacle I have to overcome. That all I can do is is deal with it and show people that hey. This is what the party needs at this point in time, a campaign of real principle. We call it the party of principle, but how many times do we ask ourselves, what does that really mean? And that's what I bring to the party. Rather than comparing myself with other candidates, past or present, this is what I bring. I bring a campaign of principle to the party of principle.
0: All right. Tell us one more time the website.
1: JacobForLiberty.com.
0: Okay, jacobforliberty.com. I'll link to that at tomwoods.com slash 1530, our show notes page for today. And I'll also, how long has this book of yours been out? I didn't know about it.
1: I launched it on Saturday right after my announcement at the South Carolina Libertarian Party Convention. The book makes reference to the fact that I announced my candidacy on November 2nd. So I had to wait till after my announcement at the South Carolina LP Convention to launch the book. Uh, so I launched it immediately after my announcement, and it's it's an autobiographical account of my life in the context of my discovery of libertarianism, um, how it became the passion of my life, what core libertarian principles are. So it's a great educational book too, and it shows Americans why it is that libertarianism really is the practical solution to the problems that besiege our society that both Democrats and Republicans have forced it upon our nation.
0: You know, I'm looking at the table of contents of it right now, and I notice that it ends with a campaign of principle for the party of principle. So this is thought of as a, a campaign book. So I guess you had been working on this in the background in the months leading up to your announcement.
1: Absolutely. I've been working on it for uh, several months, uh, on the weekends and at nights, because it's not uh, uh, one of the uh, book published by the Future of Freedom Foundation. It's my own personal book. So I've been working on it for a very long time. I should mention that it has an introduction by one of my real-life heroes, and that's Ron Paul. And I, I'm just really honored that Ron would write an introduction, and a very nice introduction, by the way.
0: I noticed that. I noticed that him and uh, then also Richard Ebeling, whom I had on the program this very week, and it seems like it covers not just issues, but also your, you know, some of your personal history and the movement and, and so on. So it's exactly, and by the way, Books like this very often have terrible covers. You have a beautiful cover. That just came out
1: great. Very,
0: very well done.
1: Well, thank you. I'll tell our designer that. You're going to make his day. I guarantee you. Uh,
0: So, so, all right. So I'm linking to that also, my passion for liberty. I'll link to that at tomwoods.com slash 1530. And people can go pick that up and see what they think. Well, best of luck. Um, I'll be interested to see how things go. And uh, thanks for taking the time today.
1: Oh, the thanks are mine, Tom. You're you're one of my real life heroes too. So it's an honor to be on your show and thank you so much.
0: All right, folks. Now on the subject of the Libertarian Party, if you have been thinking about joining, particularly because you like the Mises Caucus, the way to join is through my link because I think it's probably a good thing for them to know you came through old woods here. So you can do that at tomwoods.com slash LP. And maybe that sends them some kind of a message, but tomwoods.com slash LP is a good sign-up link. Now, also, we are at uh, roughly mid-November, just about at this point. And maybe as a homeschooling family, you're finding that the curriculum you're using is just not working out for you and you hate yourself and you're running yourself ragged and it's just too much darn work. It's not too late to switch over to the self-taught Ron Paul curriculum that will give you your mental health back, not to mention a great education to your children, in particular on subjects they're not gonna get anywhere else, like how to start their own small business, how to manage their finances, things like that, in addition to the traditional subjects. Plus, when you join through me, you get $160 worth of free bonuses that nobody else can give you. So check that out at ronpaulhomeschool.com. That's the only link where you get my $160 worth of free bonuses. ronpaulhomeschool.com is that link, and I will see you folks tomorrow.